Hi, it's Heike, and I'm super excited that you're here with me today for another interview in the series of the Dare Greatly Women interviews here on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. And today's guest is no exception when we're talking about intuition and how women often can or cannot tap into their intuition maybe trust their gut. What is the difference between intuition and trusting your gut? And how do we create a space where we feel we can speak up without feeling guilty of speaking up and that we tap in into our midlife magic as our guest will share with you. So let's dive into today's feature content. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower empty nester moms over 50 to take back their health and strength to feel vibrant in their second half of life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of empty nester moms around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and reliable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring guests who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best in life so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Well, hi, everybody. I'm super excited that I have this amazing guest here today, and her name is Dr. Melissa Bird. She is a passionate activist, coach, healer, author, and a fiery public speaker. She has given keynote speeches and workshops at universities, conferences, and religious institutions worldwide. Melissa's purpose is to help women shift their beliefs, step into their truth, and quit playing small. Her combination of education, Real-life experience and practical advice makes her a powerful force of change in the lives of the people that she connects or touches with. She's also the host of the Thinnest Veil podcast. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. I want to let everybody know that we were connected, and this is a shout out to my friends at the Passionistas Project, Nancy and Amy Harrington who have sent many wonderful guests my way. And uh, Melissa is another one of those amazing guests that they shared with me. I love Amy and Nancy so much. They are fantastic. And their, their mission is really incredible. I love what they do for us women. Me too. So now on to you. What inspires you to do what you do, Melissa? Oh, such a good question. I... I have to say that what inspires me the most is that throughout, throughout my life, I have been told, no, you can't do that a lot. 
right? Like I come up with an idea and people are like, no, you can't do that. And I think, why not? Like, why can't I do that? If the idea came to me, why can I not pursue said idea? And um, what inspires me to do my work is that I think so many of us as women hear that all the time. Um, and we hear it from the people who are supposed to support us the most, from our friends, from our loved ones in our family, like people who are supposed to be supportive of us are the ones who say, oh, are you sure? Like maybe that might not, that sounds risky, right? So they come up with all these excuses and then we start going, oh, am I sure? Should I be doing that? That sounds risky. And then we question ourselves over and over again. And what I love about the work that I do is I really help women start to listen to their intuition again and listen to those ideas that come randomly popping into our head. And we go, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Like nothing I have done in the course of my adult life has been done because I dreamed it up when I was five. Like, <laughs> right? Like everything that's happened to me as an adult throughout, uh, you know, the last 30 years has been because I listened to that voice. And and no matter, you know, if people told me, no, I was like, mm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I love that. It's like uh, when we prepared for the interview and we got to know each other, I uh, asked Melissa what her word is, what, what she's all about. And she said, audacity is my word. That's me. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about uh, how listening to your intuition in this case uh, led you to the work that you do in the world. Start wherever you want. So when I was younger um, and very first starting out my career, I, um, I used to work with abused and neglected children. I'm a social worker. I have a master's degree and a PhD in social work. Um, and I used to work with abused and neglected kids. And and for me, that work was so important, but I couldn't do it because of my own childhood history. I just couldn't continue doing that work. But what happened is that I discovered that I had a really great knack for advocacy. Like I had a really great understanding of when I tell people what's happening in the world with abuse, neglected kids, they start to listen. And so when I got my master's degree, I, um, uh, I did the very first research in Utah about homeless LGBT youth. And this was back, you know, in 2001, when none of us were talking about LGBT youth. And I was doing that research about homeless youth specifically. And uh, I knew because of my work in child welfare that we didn't have an, an emancipation law in Utah. And so at the time, the way the law was written for homeless youth you could not shelter or uh, take care of a youth for longer than eight hours without parental consent or emancipation. So in real life terms, what that meant was if you, if like the homeless youth resource center in Utah served a youth for longer than eight hours, they couldn't bring them back because it would be illegally sheltering them. And, and we had no homeless youth shelter, by the way. So what happened is I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is terrible. This is horrible. And so I sat down at my dining room table and turned on Metallica because Metallica is my most favorite band. And I wrote the Emancipation of a Minor Bill on my dining room table. And mind you, this is 2002-ish. And we did not have the Googles. We did not have, 
you know, I couldn't just go. I had to call state legislatures, the Child Welfare League of America. Like I had to put together all this information by phone and by email was just starting to be a big thing, right? But what I learned in that process is that I had, I taught myself how a bill becomes a law and I taught myself how to advocate as a person for these homeless youth. And I taught myself how to connect with all the agencies and all the organizations. I taught myself all of that. And that was completely 100% driven by my intuition. Like, it was like, you should call the attorney general of Utah. I'm like, okay. So like, and who ended up becoming one of my really good friends, even though we had nothing in common. Like, so all of that, that, what that taught me was I didn't know how a bill became a law. I mean, I really didn't. I taught myself all of that because I listened every nudge along the way, took it so that two years later we passed the emancipation of a minor bill. And, and it was hard, but I listened to that voice. Every time someone said no, I said, yes. And what happened to get back to your question is that then I got hired by Equality Utah to do LGBT advocacy in Utah. And then I got hired by Planned Parenthood of Utah to be their chief lobbyist. And then I got into my PhD program to do research on reproductive justice and um, reproductive healthcare access in rural California. And then I found this thing called life coaching and, (laughs) and I knew I didn't want to work in academia, but I graduated in 2017 and I knew that there were a bunch of women in this country, in the United States that were mad and that wanted to do something in their community. And I went, oh, I can help people do that. I can help people find their voice. I can help them learn how to use their intuition to make a difference in their lives and their communities. And that is the work that I do is I help women tap into their magic, tap into their intuition, tap into that voice inside of them that says, I cannot sit by and watch another one of my kids' friends, no matter how old our kids are, whether they're five or 25, go through what they're going through or watch our kids go through what they're going through. I cannot sit by and watch this happen anymore. When you told me that story, you shared this in preparation for the interview, I thought this was such an important story to share because people don't know how things happen. Is they Many people think, oh, there's somebody who said, this is how we're going to do this. But with your passion and your intuition, you just said, I'll figure it out. Nobody yeah. gave you a blueprint of saying, here, this is how you figure it out, Melissa. Let's go. And you're like, uh, like you said, I think a good point is there's no internet or very little internet, very little Google information. No, we were still using, I think, Bing or something. Like Google was not a thing. And so I think that, and this is what I really want your listeners to hear, is that that this isn't about politics, quote unquote, right? Like this is not about divisiveness. This is not about any of, it's not about this us versus them mentality. It's about taking a really big deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and asking, what is the next best thing? And the first thing that pops into your head is always the right way to go. But what happens is we have feelings about the next best thing. And then our brain kicks in about the next best thing. And then we're down the other rabbit hole where we have talked ourselves out of whatever the next best thing is. And what I love about this experience is that Every time I just took a big, deep breath in through my nose and out through my mouth and asked myself, what do I do now? It came and I did it. 
And that's why I've written and passed six pieces of legislation. <laughs> so so she, she didn't stop at one. No, no, she did six. <laughs> I did. And it was all about community. So for me, my work to this day is about the ripple effect of what happens if we heal in community. So what happens if we connect to this this vision that we have for what our world could look like personally, because for each one of us, it's different. But when we listen, the ripple effect goes out and then we go, okay, because it was never about me. It was about those homeless kids in Utah in 10 below weather. Like for me, these kids were freezing on the street. I mean, I remember driving home from work one day, just sobbing, thinking there are children out in this children. And, and because of their sexual orientation and gender identity, right? Like it, it was because they'd been kicked out because they were LGBTQ. It wasn't that they ran away. That was why. And so, and, and when I did my work at Planned Parenthood, it was about creating policies that helped everybody because healthy moms make healthy babies. And when we have a community that is invested in STD testing and treatment, when we're invested in fast-tracking pregnant women into substance abuse recovery so that they can have healthy children, like when we actually invest in the community, all that divisive political arguing about the big abortion word and all that other stuff goes away when we focus on what's in the best interests of community. Because even if you're on polarizing sides, you can come together in the middle when you look at things from that angle and that space. And I think that is what has so profoundly impacted my work is that, and I've seen it in the women I work with. It's so incredible to hear what happens when they release this fear and release the need to control. Hey, Tykin, I wanted to jump in to let you know about another podcast called The Reinvention Rebels that I know you'll love. You're here at the Pursue Your Spark podcast for inspiration and want to know what's next in your second half of life. Well, this is where my friend Wendy's podcast is another podcast that I know you'll love. Wendy is interviewing some of the most interesting and brave women in midlife, 50, 60, 70, and beyond, who have reinvented themselves in new, creative, and bold ways. What does it mean to be a reinvention rebel? Well, it means that you are charting a new course in your life on your own terms as you age. It also means that you're open to new possibilities and you're saying yes when opportunity comes knocking on your door. You will meet Natalie, who traveled solo around the world with a carry-on back at age 60 and then became an expat in Portugal at 62. But let's also mention Mary. She always struggled with her weight, but at 55 discovered a love for running. At 71, she is running marathons around the world and is in the best shape of her life ever. And then there's Carolyn, who started a modeling career at 72 and is going strong at 75. She's working with fashion designers, walking the runway, and modeling in Paris. 
And these are only three of the amazing stories you will hear on the Reinvention Rebel podcast. These are women that making their dreams come true in the coolest, most inspiring way. Wendy shines a light on the notion that we can reinvent ourselves at any age or any stage and is helping to disrupt limiting beliefs about the value of aging women in our society. Ready to lean in, listen, and use it to inspire your own reinvention? Subscribe to the Reinvention Rebels podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or click the link in the show notes to learn more about the Reinvention Rebels podcast. That was my part of that question. Also partially answered my question is like, what do we have? What happens when we don't speak our mind, when we don't speak about what we want? What are the fears that we have that surround that? You know, what, why is it that we'd rather sit by? Well, I think we're definitely afraid of not doing things perfectly. And this is one of the things that I love to help people like get really uncomfortable with. There is no such thing as perfection. We are naturally occurring things on this planet. We were not made in a, in a jar. We are not robots. We did not, you know, we, we are naturally occurring things like the birds and the trees and the rivers and, and the ocean. We are the earth. We are of the earth. And when we remember that and we look at the things we love about the planet, like what's your most favorite thing that happens in nature? Is it a bird, a flower, a tree? What is it? The most, the most, oh, I would think more, more like the uh, trees. Trees? You love trees? I'm I'm kind of a tree person. Yeah. So when you're out in that forest and you're in those trees, you would never look at those trees and go, God, I just wish you'd move over a little bit so I'd get through this trail easier. I just wish you would be a little bit shorter or a little bit taller because I can't, you're, you're just obstructing my view a little bit. We would never talk to the forest that way, but we talk to ourselves that way all the time. But we are the forest. We are just as imperfect and just as majestic and just as beautiful as that forest. And so when we stop striving for perfection and we start striving for humanity and we recognize that we are here having this human experience, we are supposed to falter. We are supposed to be mad and sad and joyful and ecstatic. We are supposed to experience the full range of human emotion because that's why we're here. And the minute we let go of that need for perfection and control, what happens is that we, our intuition gets even more powerful. We can start to listen to that song of our heart that says, Hey, let's try this. I love uh, telling people to ask themselves what would feel like love right now, because love is this universal energy that we all connect through. It is the love of mother earth which is why she's kind of mad right now. It is the love of mother earth that keeps us connected and going. It is the love of the divine. It is the love of the universe that says, oh, I'm here to be loved, to love and be loved over and over and over again. Will we experience heartbreak? Of course, because that's the human condition. Will we also experience ecstaticness? Yep, of course, because that's the human condition. And when we allow ourselves to let go of perfection. And we allow ourselves to recognize that we are literally knitted together crooked. One hand is bigger than the other hand. One ear is bigger than the other. One boob's bigger than the other boob. Like we are not put together symmetrically 
on purpose. So we have to stop expecting perfection and control. Very well said. I, I love that idea about the, the tree and the tree doesn't get out of the way. I'm like, okay, you know, you can cut it down, but that would defeat the purpose. Mm -hmm. That's destructive. Yeah. Yep. That's destructive. And which brings me to the next question. When we talk about the earth, about your childhood and your family background. And mm -hmm. I would like to, to share a little bit about that growing up in Utah, who you, who you really are, where, where you're, where you coming from, where your people are coming from, Melissa. Well, I have to tell you uh, that had you asked me this a week ago, my answer would be completely different. And here's why. So just last week I was in Utah, right before we record this, I was in Utah. Um, and I thought I was going home um, to see, I, I was born and raised in Utah. I grew up in Park City, mostly in Park City, but some in Salt Lake until I was about 11. And, um, and when I went home, I thought I was going home to surprise my goddaughter for her 18th birthday. Um, and what ended up happening is uh, my best friend and I and my godson, we went up to the Natural History Museum and the the Museum of Natural History in Salt Lake City has done a new, the whole upper level is all about the Native American nations in Utah. And um, I am Southern Paiute, Shivwit. I'm a descendant of the Shivwit uh, band of Southern Paiutes. And um, when you walk into this, anybody who ever goes to Utah, you have to go and see this. When you walk in, there's elders that come over the speaker and welcome you into the space. And the minute I heard those voices, I just started sobbing, just sobbing. And as we made our way through this display, the very first, there's a round wall that lists all the nations. And the very first thing is the Shivwitz land and where their reservation is. Like it's you walk right smack into it. And I just started crying. And the whole way around, the boarding schools, they did such a good job talking about the boarding schools. And, but the whole time I am like sobbing at one point, my friend just had to hold me while I cried. And she looked over at my godson and she said, this is why I tell you you're half Samoan. This is why I want you to know who you are because nobody ever told Missy who she was. And it was because my dad committed suicide when I was six. And he is the Southern Paiute side of my life. And when that happened, mind you, this is 1980. So we weren't even talking about native. We were not talking about sovereignty or native Americans. We were still calling people Indians. And this is a long time ago. And while my dad, I found out since my dad was very proud of being Paiute, but we never talked about it ever. And so my whole life, I did not know that I was part Native American until I was 17. And my mom said, well, maybe you should try and get enrolled because you might get a scholarship for college. And I'm like, oh. huh? Like even my grandmother, we were cut off from that part of my family when I was about 12 for some other reasons that I won't get into. But even, I don't even remember my grandmother, Laverna, talking to me about it very much. But what happened in... And in 2006 is that I found my, I Google searched to find my dad's obituary and I ended up finding my uncle, his brother. And that led me to, he's a native American musician and it led me down the rabbit hole of finally figuring out who I was and where I come from. 
And this is the thing that has been so fascinating about that. And I think it's also the thing that has been really beautiful about really figuring out my ancestry. I'm also Celtic. Um, And so what has happened that is so extraordinary is that I've brought together my Celtic magic and I've brought together my Paiute ancestry and together those things come together. And it has created this alignment, this mind, body, spirit alignment with me that is so powerful and so profound. And it just, it is so complex and beautiful and messy and It reminds me of those kaleidoscopes I used to look at when I was little. We used to have kaleidoscopes that were in cardboard. Do you remember those? I remember those very well. It was like the super exciting new toy. (laughs) Yeah. And you could turn it around and hold it up to the window and you'd get all those different colors and shapes. That is what my ancestry reminds me of is just this constant turning and figuring out who it is. And here's the thing that I really want people to understand about the complexities of this. It is that. My, my mother, even I literally had to say to my mom one day, you know, I'm not white. Right. And my mother said to me, it never occurred to me. And this is where the complexities of ancestry and race and all these other things that we are talking about very much right now, we are peeling back literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of crap and really complex issues for people. And so for anybody who's hearing this, that is going through these, this or figuring out what role your families have played in the history of the world and particularly the history of the United States, well, Turtle Island, North and South America, all of those geographical places, fear not, we are all going through this mess. And it does have to fall apart. And we do have to have these difficult and complicated conversations because for many of us, for me, I said this to my mom yesterday, erasing my dad and ignoring my dad because of how he died, erased me. And that's on purpose. And particularly when it comes to Native American people in this country, the, the, When we ask indigenous people how native they are, that is, that is a colonist way of thinking that I used to think. I used to think I wasn't good enough to be a native American person because I didn't have enough blood. And it took me being surrounded by sisters, other native sisters to tell me, no, you are your ancestors. You are this miraculously beautiful being, just like you are your Celtic ancestors. Those traditions, those ceremonies are just as important as the ones you're trying to figure out and learn now. And I think that this is the complexity of identity, right? We want to put each other in these boxes. And quite frankly, none of us fit there particularly if we are women, we are so complex. We literally create humanity. Like we've got a lot of things going on. So I want people to have the grace to explore the messiness of identity in this way that is compassionate and loving and kind because it's complicated. And I think many people feel very comfortable and safe in their little boxes. So if I don't 
rumble my box, then I don't have to deal with anything around it. And I feel safe and protected, but not knowing, I would say. And breaking out of breaking out of the box is scary and and very vulnerable letting others see who you really are you know i can imagine you know your mom saying i never thought about that and i'm just making this up but then on the other side she was protecting you from whatever she thought she needed to protect you from Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that 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 i love that idea of rumble my box it's so good like like get messy, like break that box all apart. That's so good. But I think that, and I think that this is the thing that really stops us from listening to our intuition because our intuition is spirit led. And I was actually talking to a client earlier today. Like it's not rational to listen to your intuition. You can't explain why you know what you know. No one can explain why we know what we know. We just know it. And, and society says, well, but you've got to have a rational reason for doing, doing A, B, C, or D. Mm-mm. Alchemy is never rational. Spirit is never rational. When we listen to our intuition, there's nothing rational about it. So if it feels rational, you're pro- it's probably your ego brain. It's probably not your intuition at all. <laughs> uh, I was just interviewed yesterday and uh, I was, ta- uh, was asked how I teach Pilates. And I said, I teach Pilates intuitively. I said, I know the exercises. I know the the order which each format has to be in and which equipment has to be in. But I can't teach that way. When somebody comes to me, I look at them first and I get a feeling. And usually my clients get very uncomfortable because they have to stand there for a while. And they're like trying to you know stand properly or shift here and shift that way. And then they're kind of like, they want to jump on a piece of equipment. I'm like, no, 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 just stay over there. Mm-hmm. And the people that have been coming for a long time, they know that I work this way, but people don't know me. And I told this interview too, I work completely with intuition. I don't take notes. I don't write down. I know the issues my clients have, whether they're in person or virtual, I know what's going on in their bodies. And when something is off, I know it. They may, somebody may uh, come and work with me and say, oh, everything's fine. Nothing hurts. And I'm like, you're off today. Something is not right. Think about it a little bit, but something is off. We're not going to do this. We're going to do X, Y, Z. And so I can relate to that intuition from, from that point of view. And it's not even, you know, sometimes I I think we say, oh yeah, just go with your gut. But I think a Mm -hmm. gut is a very different feeling than intuition. What do you think? I'm so glad you brought that up because it's really important. So our intuition comes out of our third eye. It comes out of our head. It comes out of right in the very front of our head. So if you ever have a tension headache right in the middle of your head, you're probably not listening to your intuition. So But your gut, your gut is your solar plexus and your gut is the fight or flight response. It's the thing that keeps you alive, right? And your gut is also that epicenter of power, passion, and permission. So that that solar plexus, that tummy, your gut says, am I empowered? Am I passionate? And do I have permission? Can I give myself permission? And so when we listen to our gut, that's all about empowerment or disempowerment, right? Like if it's off, we don't have permission. We're totally disempowered and we're not passionate about what we're doing, right? But our intuition is the thing that says flow, 
It's the thing that says go. It's the thing that says, here's what we're going to do. And it's going to make you super uncomfortable and you're really not going to love it, but we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) And when we listen to our intuition and we get better at it, then it becomes less and less. It's a muscle, right? Like it, we just have to, we have to exercise it and we have to stretch it and we have to give it the ability to present itself without being blockaded. And that is the thing that, um, that takes a lot of time and practice. And, and I like to give people a really easy exercise for listening to their intuition. It's as simple as, uh, do I want coffee or tea? Tea. Great. Do I want to wear the green pants or blue pants? Green pants. Great. And when you start listening to the very first thing that pops in about really mundane things, like, do I want to shower now or later? Like really mundane stuff. What, and we listen. Like whatever pops in first thing is what we do. Then what happens is you start to listen to your intuition more about the things that really aren't as mundane, that really lead you towards your passion, that really become the life that you want to create. And, um, and I really love that, that idea that that's what you do. I mean, you look at people and you go, oh, I can totally see what's going on there. Right. It's a very different way of being. I was actually, um, my friend, uh, when I was in Utah, she was reading an article about um, how to honor Hawaii as a tourist. I think it was published in Vogue or something. And one of the things that they said was, when you get to Kauai, they were using Kauai as an example. Don't just pull out your phone and take a picture. Take a minute to breathe in the air, to f- smell the salt, to feel the energy of the island then you can snap your pretty picture, but take a minute to stop and honor the land that you are standing on. And that is the other thing that I think is so important when we are in place in our bodies, when we recognize that we are always in place because our body is a place, then we can start to figure out what's off, what's not working, what's out of alignment. And when we recognize that we're in place on the earth, we're in place all the time. We are never in the wrong place. We are always in place. And if we start to encourage ourselves to see that, then we can change how we feel about the things that are going on in the world. Because if we're grounded and rooted in place, if we literally are here in our bodies, then our intuition can speak up. Then the gut instinct goes, we we get a lot less in fight or flight and we start to become more empowered. And then we can do the work we were meant to do in the world. But with all the distraction around us, I know that it's really hard to feel that grounded, mm-hmm. to feel that aware in in your environment and in yourself. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, how would somebody go about and say, you know, I'm so distracted. I, I just, I don't even take a self-care day, air, air quotes. Oh, self-care. What a patriarchal construct. <laughs> So <laughs> we're craving soul care. It goes beyond the mani petty. Like we want to connect to this body in a way that is healing and loving and compassionate so much. I want to just completely disrupt self-care so that people start to call it self-school care or self-care with a soul or something. Like let's get back into that sense of it's not about a mani petty and a wine day with your girlfriends. It's really about and groundedness, right? So for me, the way I teach grounding is literally that big, deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. 
If you breathe deep in through your nose and out through your mouth, your body literally lines up. And then if you do another one and you imagine the light of the divine coming through the top of your head, out the soles of your feet, then you are tethered to the divine and you're tethered to the earth. And it literally takes 10 seconds. We think it's got to take 10 hours or I've got to go and set this up and I've got to schedule the time on my calendar. No, it's literally a big, deep breath multiple times a day to get you back to center, back to center, back to center. And if you breathe open mouth, I learned this from one of my teachers. If you breathe open mouth, you open up your heart. And so, so in through the, in in through the, the mouth. Nose. In through the mouth, out through the mouth. Uh-huh. It opens up your heart so that you can open yourself up to giving and receiving love even more. That's why all the statues, all the deities, no matter what their background, their hands are open like this. And it's good. So you, since since you can't see us, guys. So Melissa is holding out her hands to the side. Oh, yeah. So you have to definitely <laughs> watch the video because we are looking at each other as we're talking here. So her hands are out to the side like she's receiving a gift. Yeah. from from the sky so that's just imagine like jesus in rio like that statue of jesus in rio arms arms open wide and open to giving and receiving love yeah yeah you know the it's interesting about the breath is that pilates breathing is in through the nose and out through the mouth mm-hmm. speaking again of alignment of the body and, yeah. and we're also talking about the energy through what i call the crown of the head Yep. Or wearing your crown and through the bottoms yep. of the feet. So yep. it's a similar um, image of the length, of the extension, mm-hmm. of, of energy going through your body. I find this very interesting to hear that from you as well. This is, this is really great. <laughs> and, I, and I will say that that actually brings up another really, really beautiful and fantastic point, um, which kind of circles around to what I was saying earlier about this not being polarizing. We're all talking about the same thing. We just use different language when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to religion, um, when it comes to any of those things, we have to remember that there is no right way. It's just the way. And, and if we would be more willing to be more compassionate to each other, because we're all shooting for the same thing, which is peace and calm and breath and connection. When we recognize we're all going for connection, we just all speak a different language. It makes spirituality and religion and magic and all these things that we're talking about right now so much easier to understand because what we're going for is that universal law of love. That's what we're looking for. We're all looking for that. That's why we're here. Yeah, I agree. And especially now that we're, almost past COVID and, and, uh, we have been, many of us have been lonely home alone and stuck and, and miss that community or have missed that community. Well, I think that was intentional on the part of the earth. She was like, I'm just going to put you all in a big gigantic timeout and see what you do. I can see that. I think she was just done. She's like, I'm done with you people. That's like, things happen for a reason, right? (laughs) Hey, it's Heike. I'm back here at the studio and wanted to share something super cool with you. If you've never been part of the Emptiness Reboot program, then I'm really going to surprise you. You can go to HeikeYates.com and learn how to combine Pilates, strength training, and intermittent fasting strategies. Because if you're watching me or listening to me right now, 
This is the time in your life to change your health and fitness strategies over 50 and 60. Did you know that Pilates and intermittent fasting combined are the most effective way to lose body fat and supercharge your energy for empty nester moms over 50, 60 and beyond without another diet or spending hours working out? The Emptiness Reboot Program is for women stuck in old strategies, don't know where to start, and need more accountability and consistency in their health and fitness strategies. Most importantly, you'll work with a coach who has gone before you to show you that getting stronger, healthier, and feeling better is achievable over 50, 60, and beyond. So go to HeikeYates.com and apply to be part of the next Empty Nest Reboot program round. We only offer this program three times per year. So why not join now? Go to HeikeYates.com and apply. <laughs> now, Melissa, you founded the Natural Born Rebel in 2017, I believe. What is that? What, what is all that? What is it? Tell us about it. Oh my gosh. So I started my company actually as Bird Girl Industries. So for anybody who's listening, who runs a small business, just know it changes. Um, so I started as Bird Girl Industries in 2017. And then I actually had a friend who had a vision and she called me. I was in a, I was in a lift, uh, driving, uh, flying home from San Bernardino. Cause I was teaching in at Cal state San Bernardino and I was coming back to Oregon. And she said, I just have this vision. I need you to write this down. And so I write down this whole thing. She's like, it's called Natural Born Rebel. I already bought you the URL and you need to do all these things. And you need to write this book called Natural Born Rebel. And you need to say these things in it. And like, she gave me the whole rundown basically. And I was like, uh, okay. And I had her on speakerphone because I was writing at the same time that she was talking. She's like, Hey, got to go back to my real estate deal or whatever she was doing. She was in doing something. I was like, okay, see you later. Bye. And the Lyft driver goes, that happened to you often? And I said, no, not really. And he goes, well, you better listen. Those are some great ideas. Oh my God. <laughs> and she literally, she's like, you need to start this game called Rebel School. And this is what needs to be in it and blah, blah, blah. So I do, right? I call my web designer and I'm like, I got to change everything. And here's the vision and here's what needs to be on. I got in touch with my assistant and I said, I'm, I'm writing this book. Here's what we need to do. Like blah, blah, blah. And we did all of that. And it was incredible. I started Rebel School. And at the time it was like a six week program, every other week group program and the pandemic hit right at, right at the beginning of me starting to do all these things. And so I was already online. I was already on zoom, uh, before everybody else was. And so, um, it really, really was beautiful and amazing. Well, then what happened is that same friend was like, you've got to change everything. <laughs> I had another vision for you. And so what happened is rebel school has now evolved into the art of the graceful revolution, partly because I had a vision about the graceful revolution. It was a dream. I typed it on my phone while I was in the middle of sleeping that basically says, I believe in a new band of advocacy where we humble ourselves to our shortcomings and engage of acts of graceful revolution that make a difference in other people's lives. And I, it's this whole thing. And I was like, what the heck? How, who types that in the middle of the night? Oh, I guess I do. And so my friend Susie was like, you need to take rebel school and move it to the art of the graceful revolution and do this and this and this. So I changed my whole website again to Dr. Melissa Bird. 
And <laughs> well, you almost answered my next question. So keep going, because that was my next uh, question is about the graceful revolution and, and what it is and how women can apply it to their lives. Thank you for that segue. Look at that segue. So <laughs> so it's so funny, though, because I love I was so in love with natural born rebel and just I mean, I've always been a rebel. I was I was in trouble when I was 17. Right. Like I am a troublemaker. But, and what happened is, is what Susie really pointed out to me is that vision I had about the, the graceful revolution, that whole thing, and you can find it on my website. It's really lovely. That whole thing was take that rebelliousness, take that, like you said, my audacity is my word. Like we are women and naturally we are rebellious just in and of the fact that we we have this body that does these things, sometimes not all well, but like, you know, we're supposed to be able to create human life. Some of us can, some of us can't. We're supposed to have a period every month. We bleed every month. And some of us can, and some of us can't. Like we have all these amazing things that we do and that in and of itself is rebellious, right? So then the art of the graceful revolution is this movement towards healing shame and wounding around who we are. So in the group program for the very first six weeks, we talk about all about healing, shame, and wounding, really opening up where we learned, where we got the messages of shame and wounding so we can heal them so that in the middle six weeks, it's all about taking inspired, intentional, intuitive action. So a lot of the, what I've learned as a, not just as a social worker, but also in the coaching world is that we, we have this action leads to clarity, leads to confidence. Like it's a model, right? But when we just take action for the heck of it, we're not getting what we need. We're just doing the action of shooting. And I often tell my clients, stop shooting all over yourself. So so inspired, intentional, intuitive action means your clarity and your confidence are also inspired and intuitive and intentional. So when we are clear from an intuitive space, then the confidence that we gain from that action is also intuitive. And so that's what I teach in the middle six weeks of the graceful revolution is this idea of how do we use inspired intentional intuition to take action? So we're clear and confident from the space of those things. And then the last six weeks is all about using the tools of discernment, spell casting, prayer, um, meditation, all the tools of alchemy to take, cause you've done the healing. You've learned how to do that intuitive action. Now you take the tools of, of spirituality and you use them in service to the world. And let me say, this was a hard evolution for me, partly because I'm Christian. I'm a lay preacher with the Episcopal church and I'm a practicing witch. And so for me talking about spirituality and religion and magic at the same time was the biggest hurdle I had to overcome in that transformation from natural born rebel to the graceful revolution to just being me. Because what happened was that I was terrified that I would lose my friends, that I was terrified I would lose my Christian friends. I was terrified I would lose my witch, witchy friends. And I was terrified that I wouldn't know what I was doing. And I think so many of us are in that space where we are wobbling back and forth in our spirituality. And what we have to remember is we can be all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that as like, and it's it's like people form little groups and they want to belong to one group and the one group doesn't maybe like the other group or whatever the the reason may be, or don't know anything about it and go like, ah, I don't know about this. You know, in, in, in my world, it would be, 
the tango teachers have nothing to do with the trail runners and the trail runners have nothing to do with the triathletes. And they're sort of, you know, we're all like in little, little clicks hanging around each other. Yeah. And some people want to do the tango and run on the trail. That'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> and in your case, you as well. Now, um, how do we tap into our intuition and how do we find our voice based on our conversation today? If anybody that's listening would say, how do I do this? I'm not into what, what my people tell me. Uh, I, when I say, can you feel your breath? Can you feel, you know, your arms getting long or whatever it is? They're like, uh, no, no. Mm-hmm. I think we are so disconnected from our bodies, right? Like we just, we just have been raised in a society that says, do not connect with your body. And I, I have found that. I think that's part of the wrestle of not listening to ourselves is that we, we spend a lot of time outside. It's the way I can see it is it's almost like we look down at ourselves in many ways and go, huh, I wonder why I'm doing that right now. Like, <laughs> I know that's not a good choice, but I'm going to do it anyway. And our intuition is screaming at us going, please stop, please stop. And we're like, no, no, I'm going to do it anyway. But I, I think that one of the, one of the biggest things that I can say is to, to not beat ourselves up when we realize two years later, two months later, two minutes later, oh, I really should have listened to myself. And I think that it's the, we shame ourselves, right? I was actually working with a client who realized something about her business. Like she decided to be a sole proprietor instead of an LLC, even though in the very beginning, she was like, I need to be an LLC, right? Like she knew it in the beginning, but she didn't listen. And now she's over here, you know, two and a half, three years later going, gosh, I really wish I would have listened to myself. And it's that moment that I'm so mad at myself that's when we realize that, that our intuition is still speaking to us, that it is still saying, it's okay. It's okay. You didn't listen. Let's try this now. Shall we? Could you listen now? I I was joking. Um, you know, I often joke with my friends, are you waiting for the sign of your sign? Like, do you have to pull the 50th tarot card of the same card? Like, you know, whatever it is, when you get the signs from the universe that it's all like, how often do you have to see one, one, one before you realize that something magic is happening there, right? Like we all experience synchronicities every single day, but oftentimes we ignore them or we, we think that can't possibly be right. And that's how, you know, you're in ego. That's how, you know, your brain is running the show. If you start to question, I, that can't be right. How weird I'm seeing that again. That's when you go, but, but maybe I should wonder why I'm seeing that again right? I've seen hummingbirds 37 times, but it's the middle of winter. I wonder if someone's trying to send me a message, right? Like there's a million different things that can happen to each one of us. And I think this is honestly why people get confused. There is no one right way to listen to your intuition. Just like every single one of us craves a different kind of food. Not all of us really want to eat asparagus or ice cream or drink a really great expensive glass of scotch. Every single one of us is a unique individual, which means the way we hear our intuition will also be unique. 
And so the trick is to not, is to acknowledge when you're questioning yourself, not shame yourself and then go, okay, well, maybe I could try to start listening. And, and this is the hard part about teaching people how to use their intuition is that for each one of us, it's individual. But again, it goes back to the simplicity of listening to the very first thing that pops in your head. The clearest, most clairvoyant, most intuitive thought literally happens in the first five seconds. It's an in-breath and an out-breath. I think this is a good a practice or a good ending for our interview to say there is a way that you can do intuition or reach your intuition or actually try to tap into your intuition is the word I'm looking for in a simple way because we have enough complicated things around us so is there anything that you'd like to share with our audience I just one of my most favorite quotes of all time ever is from Eleanor Roosevelt and she says do one thing every day that scares you and that is 100% my motto for living just do one thing every day that scares the pants off of you It'll be making the phone call. Sometimes it's doing the exercise. Sometimes it's sleeping in when you know everybody else is getting up. You know, each of us is terrified about a bazillion different things. But if you do one thing every day that scares you, your life will be so full and so adventurous and so lovely. And so that is my last bit that I would like to say. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being here on the show with us today, Melissa. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It was lovely chatting with you. Thanks for joining me in today's interview, all about how to tap into your intuition and find your voice with my guest, Dr. Melissa Bird. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Melissa Bird, please check out her social media channels. We provided links to those in the show note captions. If you're learning and love our podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's a zero way cost for you to support us. In addition, please subscribe to the Pursue Your Spark podcast and Apple on Spotify and give the show an up to five star review. If you have any questions or comments or topics or guests you'd like me to cover on the Pursue Your Spark podcast, please put them in the comment section on YouTube. I read all the comments and I'll respond there. If you're not already following us on social media, we are at Heike Yates on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And I should mention that those platforms I mentioned cover fitness, Pilates, strength, and intermittent fasting topics for empty nester moms over 50 and 60 and beyond, which overlap with the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Get on the list for my weekly newsletter by grabbing one of my free guides for empty nester moms over 50 to reclaim your health by going to hikeityates.com. Thank you so much for joining me today in today's interview with Dr. Melissa Bird talking all about intuition and finding your voice. Until next time, I see you again on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao!